What's up, Freedom House? Good to see everybody. Hey, we also wanna welcome all of our friends online, Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, North Carolina, New York, Indiana, Vermont, Ohio, Connecticut, West Virginia, Michigan, Florida, New Jersey, and Pakistan. Isn't that great? Let's give it up for all of our online. Thank you, guys. Make a road trip from Pakistan. Come see us. We'd love to see you. Uh, today is a really special day. One of my great friends is here, and he has an amazing message for you today. Uh, pastor Luke Barnett um, took over his dad's church in 2013. He's been a pastor for a long time. Um, actually, this year, their church is celebrating 100 years. Isn't that fantastic? And honestly, since I've been saved, uh, they have had a tremendous impact in my Christianity, my walk with God, Matthew and, and Tommy, and especially Luke. Luke is uh, now one of my best friends, and uh, we get to hang out together often during the year. And what an honor to have him. He's been at, at his church now, took over from his dad, uh, been there 10 years. He's gone from one campus to nine campuses. Uh, they are impacting not only Arizona, but all over the nation and the world. Um, you know that we support the Short Creek Dream Center, and uh, we are big supporters of what they do there because we believe in their missions directive. They started the whole concept of Dream Centers around the nation and the world, and what an honor to have him come and share a message. One of my great friends, would you stand up and give Pastor Luke Barnett a great welcome? Come on, let's give him a big God bless you from Freedom House. Uh, so good to be with you. Would you remain standing? We're gonna just, we're gonna read God's word together. You can remain standing for just a moment, but I wanna say I'm so grateful to be in this great house here today. Man, what a church. If you put a decal on your window, you get free gas. If I were you, I'd find out where your leaders live and just follow them around town so you get the free gas. I mean, uh, I don't wanna break the bank here, but that is pretty awesome, man. But we're so grateful for this great church and for your leaders, uh, Pastor Troy and Pastor Penny. I got to tell you, you guys, I know you know this, but you got the real deal as leaders here. What you see is what you get. I played golf with Pastor Troy yesterday. I won't tell you who won. I'll just be very humble about it. I actually lost, but... Uh, but uh, Everywhere we went at the golf course, he was just inviting people to church. Every person he saw, you gotta come to church tomorrow. He was just so bold about it and unashamed. And I thought, man, this guy loves his church. He loves the gospel. He loves to preach. And uh, he just loves you people. So I'm just so grateful for you, Pastor Troy and Pastor Penny. Don't you love your leaders? Aren't they just amazing? They're the real deal. They're the real deal. And not only that, they're the real deal with their generosity. Well, Short Creek Dream Center wouldn't be there today without some people who stepped out first, first to make it all happen there, giving offerings every single month to help the work of the Lord there, to rescue people who are trapped in generational polygamy and human trafficking. So guess what? You are a part of that. You are a, you're a part of Dream City Church, amen, and you're giving across the, the nation here today, so we thank you so very much. Well, this message I'm going to share with you today exemplifies what you do every single week here at, at uh, I almost said Dream City, but uh, Freedom House Church. So I wanna read you the words of Matthew, chapter 10. You're in this series, what does the Bible say about that? And today I wanna talk to you about what the Bible says about confession, what the Bible says about confessing Jesus. 
Jesus said in Matthew 10, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him or her before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on this earth. Is this Jesus speaking? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not so hard to do. Uh, And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Father, I pray you would anoint this word today. Make us better people, stronger for you. Brighter light in our community, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I went to high school at a school called Scottsdale Christian Academy. We were the Mighty Eagles. We only had 200 kids in my entire high school. So in football, we weren't class 5A or 4A or even 1A or even B. We were class C. We barely had enough players to field a football team, and since we had a school full of inept boys, I was the quarterback of the team, and we were terrible. We won one game all season, and our division knew how bad we would be, so every time we traveled to play uh, the the opposing team, we would play on their homecoming night. They knew it would be a sure win on homecoming night playing us, and then they were angry. They were loud. They were booing us. It got so old every time we traveled to play as the visitors on homecoming night of that team. You know, as we look at our nation today, it's become very clear that we Christians have lost the home field advantage in this nation. There was a day we were the home team. We were respected in schools and governments and culture at large. Even if they didn't agree with us, they still respected us enough to allow our opinions to be heard. But today we are no longer the home team, which means if you are a devoted Christian, a a disciple of Jesus, the crowd is not only not cheering you, they're booing you. And the more you stand for Jesus in this culture, the louder the boos are going to be. And there was a time when we could hide inside the church, but today there's no place to run. There's no place to hide because these truths that you and I hold to are being rejected across the board in the school system, in governments, in entertainments. To follow Jesus Christ today is more than just going to an ice cream social at church. Our Christian faith is under attack. That is unless you're just so vague about Jesus that no one knows where you stand. It has become so clear that whatever remnants of a Christian nation we once had no longer exist. And in some cases, the one entity called the church that God raised up to take the stand has also crumbled. So that's why I thank God for this amazing church, because you've chosen to stand up and be counted as the faithful people who serve Jesus Christ, who love Jesus Christ, and proclaim his message unashamedly in the culture around you. 
So my challenge to all of us today is simply this. I challenge you, I challenge me, I challenge us to be unapologetic, unashamed followers of Jesus. Because that's what's needed right now in our nation, to save our nation. Jesus said it like this. Everyone who confesses me, I will confess him or her before my father. If you deny me in this world, in this culture, I'm going to deny you before my father in heaven. He brings up this whole issue of confession. He said, you confess me, I'll confess you to my dad. You deny me, well, I'm going to deny you before my dad who's in heaven. So he's talking to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers about confession and denial. He's talking to his followers to confess, to confess. What does that mean? It simply means to publicly identify with. It's this verbal and visual identification to the world around us. Hey, I'm on team Jesus. I'm proud to be on team Jesus, somebody. Come on. I'm proud to be on his squad. I identify with him. Now, what does it mean to identify? Well, it seems like everyone's identifying these days in culture. You know, when election season rolls around, people will identify with a candidate. I'm for him, I'm for her, I'm for them. And some will make their confession even clearer by putting bumper stickers on their car or signs in the yards because they wish to be verbose in their confession about one candidate while denying the other. Well, the apostle Paul said to young Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ, but join with me in, in my suffering for the gospel. In other words, he says, don't be ashamed to confess Jesus Christ in the culture around you. Don't be ashamed. Look, we live in a day today where there's no more shame, right? We see things today on television we never thought we'd see, especially on the commercials. We hear language used today we never thought we'd hear. We see people marching in parades, especially in June, you know, that we never thought we'd see because there's no shame. And I don't hear anybody apologizing out there, do you? What they're basically saying to us is, now you all adjust because this is the way it is. Well, Jesus says, I want you to be unashamed of me. I want you to confess me before men the same way a married person wears a wedding ring to give a visual identification of a relationship. Jesus says, don't take off your Christian ring just because you go to school, young people. Don't take off your Christian ring just because you go to work. Don't take off the Christian ring just because you go into culture to skirt the rejection. I want you to identify with me boldly and unashamedly. I want you to confess me without apology. Here's the big question. Why won't or why don't certain Christians do that? Why won't they confess Christ in our culture? Well, some are like the folks spoken about in John chapter 12, where it says many of the rulers believed in him. So they saw Jesus and what he was doing. Like, wow, something special about this guy. They believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, he would not, they were not confessing him for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they love the approval of men more than they love the approval of God. Notice they were believing in him, but they wouldn't confess him. Why? They were afraid of rejection. They were afraid of being canceled by the culture. They were afraid of their followers dropping off their Instagram account. So they chose to remain secret agent Christians. Oh, today we live in a world of political Christians. 
those who wrap their Christianity in the flag rather than the cross of Jesus Christ. We live in a day of cultural Christians, those who wrap their Christianity in the issue of race rather than the primacy of Jesus Christ. We live in a day of convenience Christians, those who want to use God for their blessing, but they don't want to represent him in the culture. Unless it just means going to church every week. But Jesus says, look, unless you confess me, me, not God, not my father, he says me. In other words, just saying God out there is not going to cut it. That's called vague Christianity because Jesus Christ has been assigned by the Trinity to represent the Godhead on this earth. And he says, I want you confessing me. Now, I want to be very clear about this. We become a Christian by faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from our works. Can you say amen to that? I'm grateful for that. But once we become Christians, listen carefully, whole different story. Now we have entered the realm of something called discipleship. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, a disciple is not above his teacher. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. If they called me, the head, Jesus, Beelzebub, the devil, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Jesus says, look, the whole idea of becoming a Christian is to be like me. That's attitude and actions character and conduct. So Jesus says, look, I set the standard of truth and we are to reflect what he says and how he feels about what's happening in the culture. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We're representing him in the culture. So here's the burning question this morning. On your job, in your neighborhood, among your friends, if you were accused of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, not a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would you be found innocent of all charges? Are you an unapologetic, unashamed follower of Jesus? Now, it got real quiet in this once Pentecostal church, now <laughs> Baptist church, amen, whatever, right? When it comes to confessing Jesus Christ, I think there's one issue that a lot of believers have not yet come to grips with. And that is this issue of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, truly making him Lord of our life. Any, any military people here today? You were in the military at one time. Raise your hand real high. Yeah. Thank God for all of you. We just applaud you for your great service to our nation. A military person knows that when you join the Army or Navy, it's free. You don't pay anything to get in the army. But once you join the army, it's a whole new way of operating because now you are no longer a civilian. First of all, you are easily identifiable based on the, what you're wearing, your uniform. People can say they're in the army, navy, air force, marines, coast guard. You have shown your colors and you've shown who you are. Secondly, they now own you. They have rights over your life. They can tell you, go here, you have to go. They can say, go to Germany, you have to go. They, they can say, go to South Korea, you must go because they have become Lord over your existence. Now you got in there for free and you become a Christian for free, but once you get in, they now become Lord. And when you don't allow the armed services to be Lord of your life, they call you AWOL, which means now you're operating against the program. 
Well, God has a lot of Christians who are on their way to heaven, but they're AWOL on this earth because they don't want to put on the uniform. They want to be in the army of the Lord operating as a civilian. And friends, this nation will not be turned back to God until some Christians are willing to put the uniform on, put on the Lordship of Jesus Christ and say, you're Lord over all. I heard a story about a little boy who was in Africa and he was out playing in the jungle and while he was playing, this lion jumps out and begins to tear him apart, devour him. Nearby, there was a missionary who had a rifle, and he shot the lion and killed it and saved the little boy's life. Well, about a week later, the little boy shows up at the missionary's house, knocks on the door. The missionary says, can I help you? There's this little boy with a suitcase with all his belongings packed in it. He said, mister, I'm moving in with you. And he said, why are you moving in with me? He said, mister, it's the law of the jungle. When someone saves your life, you belong to them. They own you. And I'm moving in with you because there would be no life if it weren't for you. Christians, I want to remind you of the law of the kingdom you wouldn't be in the kingdom. There would be no spiritual life if it weren't for someone named Jesus Christ who died for you. And you can't confess him in the culture? Lovingly, yes, and kindly, yes, but boldly and clearly and unapologetically. The apostle Paul said it like this in Acts chapter 10. He is Lord over all. That's why we worship him as Lord. Paul said in Romans 14, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And two verses later, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ where we stand before God. God's gonna ask you and I this question. Was I Lord? The only reason you're standing here in my presence is because I was your savior. But what I want to know is, while you walked on the earth, was I Lord? That is, did I own you? Did I own your thoughts, your ideas, your treasures, your talents? Was I Lord of your life? Was I Lord? What does that mean? Well, one day, a soldier in the army asked his commanding officer for permission to leave the base to go to a wedding. And his commanding officer said, well, sure, you can leave the base, but you must be back by 10 p.m. Well, the soldier said, but sir, you don't understand. The wedding doesn't start until 8 p.m. His commander said, I heard you. I want you back by 10 p.m. But sir, you don't understand. I'm in the wedding. He said, no, you're in the army. I want you back by 10 o'clock. Look, I know culture is pulling us this way and that way, and we can all come up with our excuses for why we're not taking our stand for Jesus. Well, I'm in a secular job, Pastor Luke. Well, I'm in a secular school. I'm in a secular college. Jesus says, no, you are in the kingdom of God, and you belong to me now. Yes, you are in this world. And I don't expect you to be inappropriate or be a monk out there that lives in a monastery, but I do expect you to use your time, talents, and treasures in this world under my authority and with a full confession of me. That's what he's saying today. Look, we are not of this world anymore. This is not our home. We are of another world. So we cannot allow our sympathy to what's happening in our culture adjust God's standards. 
We cannot allow our political allegiances to adjust God's standards. Our ultimate allegiance is not to a person. It's not to a party. It's not to a system. Our ultimate allegiance must be to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord. Now, we can do that voluntarily right now. Or we can do it mandatorily later. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thomas put it like this, my Lord and my God. This is the recognition that Jesus Christ is not just some nice little historical personality that ought to be respected. He's the son of the living God that ought to be worshiped as Lord. So final question, and I hope you'll think deeply about this. How do you really know in your heart that you've made the lordship decision? Because anybody can say, well, yeah, he's my Lord. But how do you really know? Well, Jesus told us how we can settle the lordship issue once and for all. Listen to his words in Luke chapter six and verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? In other words, how do you call me Lord, and then go out and do the opposite of what I say. I say this about the identity of a man, but you're saying something else. I say this about the identity of a woman, but you're saying something else. I say this about the definition of marriage, but you're saying something else. I say this about the sanctity of life and the protection of the unborn, but you say something else. I keep saying what I'm saying, but you keep coming up with what you're saying, and you still want to call me Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If I'm Lord, then you're adjusting, not me. Because I'm Lord, he says. But we live in an era where Christians are asking God, to adjust, to make sure we can make the folks in our culture happy, right? Yes, we are to be sensitive, and yes, we are to be kind. To not do those things is also to not do what Jesus tells us to do, but we do not do those things by jettisoning the truth in order to placate a culture who has already rejected our Lord. He's Lord. This business of confessing Christ is so serious, even to the believer's life. It affects whether we're getting breakthroughs in our finances, in our family, in our bodies. This, this issue of confession. Look at John 2, 23. Are you still with me out there today? Yeah. It says, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in him. So, you know, back then there weren't sinners' prayers and altar calls and things like that. People made a decision just to follow Jesus, Okay. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs he did. So they're saying, this guy's different. He's a miracle worker. He has to be God. But Jesus did not commit himself to them for he knew what was in them. So they believed in him. Maybe they were going to church. But he would not commit himself to them because he knew what was in them. Let me make this statement. Jesus does not have the same commitment level to each Christian equally. Now, he has the same love level to them, okay? He loves all, all of us equally, but he's not equally committed to every child because if you are ashamed of him, if you won't confess him before men and women, then he's not going to confess you before his father. When he takes those prayers up to his father, 
he'll, the father, he'll say, now, Father, don't, don't answer this prayer because they're going to take that answer to prayer and that blessing and just use it on themselves, and they're not going to profess you and what you did for them. Okay? So that, that's not a good one, Dad. Don't answer that one. If there is no confession of Christ, there's going to be a breakdown in the connection of the relationship. It's like a marriage. You can have two people legally married with a marriage certificate, have kids together, live in the same house, but not be connected. And you can be legally together with Christ on your way to heaven, but, but not be connected to his power for a lack of, of professing and confessing his name. Let me read it one more verse, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, everybody say heart, person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, everybody say mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. So guess what? He's talking about you and I opening up our mouths. He says, when you believe in your heart, that, that's not opening your mouth. You're made righteous. That's talking about salvation. Righteous before God. But he says, when you open your mouth and publicly identify with Jesus, that's where you get deliverance. That's where you get healing. That's where you get saved in your earthly situation. In other words, God, through the person of Jesus Christ, will only join you in history on this earth if you're unashamed of him. If you're, not, if you're unapologetic about him. If you don't hide behind the word God because Jesus said these polarizing statements like I am the way, the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to God except through me. And then down in verse 13, it says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That little term, call on the name of the Lord, is used exclusively almost exclusively in the New Testament by Christians. We don't have unbelievers calling on God's name. These are believers. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church at Corinth, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, their Lord. It's talking about Christians who have made the Lordship decision. Acts chapter seven, verse 59, it said they went on stoning Stephen. Remember Stephen? Stoning him to death as he called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He was confessing Jesus all the way to the very end as he's being stoned to death. And the Bible says he saw a vision of God where Jesus stood to his feet and gave him a standing ovation for confessing him even to the very end. I know this is, a strong message here today, but what I'm saying is if you don't confess, don't bother calling. If you're not proclaiming Jesus Christ as your Lord, don't bother praying because he's not answering the prayers of people who deny him publicly. Tough message, isn't it? I'm glad I didn't write it. Jesus wrote it, amen. Now look, as I wrap this up, I, I'm a blessing preacher. I believe in the blessings of God. I believe that when you follow the word of God, it elevates your life. Do you believe that? Yeah. You follow his promises in his, in his word and in your family and your finances. You just go to a whole new level. I really believe that. But I think that Jesus also wants us to know the rest of the story. Because while we're really good at talking about blessing season, there's also a price tag attached to following Jesus. And this is what he said in Matthew 10. Do not think I've come to bring peace on this earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So now Jesus has kind of already talked about blessing season, but now he's talking about sword season. We know all about blessing season, but what about sword season? Look, once you lovingly, willingly, clearly confess Jesus, you need to know it's going to create a divide. Now, we just need to know that. And the divide will be greater in the year 2023 because now all around us, we have the public denial of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, look, it's going to happen in your family. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, mother against daughter, father against son. It's going to happen. Because when you are clear in your confession, those who are rejecting me, Jesus says, are also going to reject you. It'll happen in your school. It'll happen in your place of work. It'll happen in the pulpit. Because to take your stand on God's word, to take your stand on Jesus Christ and his perspective on what's happening in our culture, it's going to create a conflict. All right? So Jesus isn't just talking noise here. He's saying, I understand it's going to be a conflict. Not because you're trying to be confrontational. It's just that what you are professing, the world is denying. And that's going to be an issue. But then he gives this tremendous promise. And this is what holds me in my life. Verse 39. He who has found his life in this crazy culture, you're going to lose it. And he who has lost his life for me, for my sake, will find it. Jesus says, when you publicly identify with me, you just lost with them, but you won with me. And the life you thought you lost, you actually find. And look, unless you really believe that in your heart, friends, then what's happening in this temporary, fickle, ever-changing culture, unless you really believe that what you, you can't find in that you find with Lord, then you'll always be more concerned about pleasing them than pleasing him. So let's put a close by reading these final words from Jesus in Luke 14. Are you all still with me out there today? Verse 25, Jesus makes it even clearer and stronger here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Everybody say disciple. He didn't say he can't be a Christian. He said he cannot be my disciple. He's not talking about hating your family here. That's a misunderstood passage. He's talking about the price tag that sometimes comes along with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is anyone in your life that trumps me, you lose me. A man's first priority is not to his wife, it's to his Christ. A woman's first priority is not to her husband, it's to her Christ. Parents' first priority is not to their children, it's to their Christ. And Jesus says, if you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. And we have a lot of Christians today who are not disciples of Jesus because Jesus keeps losing to mothers and fathers and spouses. He goes on in verse 28, for which of you when he wants to build a tower, he talks this whole passage about building a tower. You gotta count the cost. Do you have enough money to finish the project? He talks about a king. 
who before he goes into battle counts his troop to make sure he can finish the task. And the whole issue is, can I finish what I got started? I don't want to bail halfway through the project. Do I have what it takes to finish the task? We've all seen this over the past three years. A lot of Christians have bailed on Jesus. You know why? They haven't been told the whole story. They knew all about blessing season, the blessings of God, and I believe in the blessings of God. But they were not taught about sword season. And so when everything hit the fan this last three years, and when some Christians heard about confessing Christ in our culture season, when they heard about drawing a line in the sand season, when they heard about getting canceled, come on, sorry, for the sake of Jesus Christ season, they bailed because they didn't count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, which includes sometimes taking up our cross, which means pain and following Jesus. Jesus concludes with these words in verse 34. Therefore, he says, salt is good, but if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It's useless either for the soil or the manure pile. <laughs> That's some useless salt there. So it's thrown out talks about salt that is no longer salty. It's good for nothing because it's lost its seasoning power. And Jesus says, you know, there's some useless Christians in America today. I can't use them because I would rather identify with the culture than stand strong for me. I'm looking for some salty Christian. He said, they're useless even for the manure pile. He says, I can't even use them for dung. That's some useless Christians. That's how bad it's become. And look, as I'm preaching this message right now, I know some of you are having your hair parted by this truth right now. Wow, this is strong. But I'm with you. It is so scary these days sometimes to take our stand for Jesus. It's like getting on a roller coaster. I love roller coasters. The bigger, the larger, the scarier they are, the more I love the roller coaster. You see, roller coasters, they're designed to be scary. It's the nature of the ride. They're supposed to give you the thrill of a lifetime. That's the, that's the purpose of them. And sometimes when I'm on a massive roller coaster, you're going up, you go, oh dear Jesus, why did I do this? This was stupid, this is not gonna end well. You get to the very top and you look over the edge, like, oh my gosh. You start going down and when you're going down, you're screaming and yelling and only the laundry man knows how scared you really are in that moment, it's bad. But when the ride is over, what do you do? Let's do it again and again and again and again because there's a thrill on the other side of the fear. Look, you may be a little afraid of being an unapologetic, unashamed, confessing follower of Jesus, but I want you to know that on the other side of the fear, there's a great thrill of following Jesus. You get answered prayers. You get to be God's man, God's woman, standing strong in this culture. And the life you thought you lost, he says, you find when you stand strong for Jesus. So it's time right now to cast your vote. Are you really ready and willing to be an unapologetic, unashamed, confessing disciple of Jesus? Because without some people in America, let's face it, who are willing to stand for Jesus, this nation's going to hell. And it's our time to stand. It starts with us, the church. We're not perfect people. I'm definitely not a perfect man. You can ask my wife about that. She'll say a lot of things about me, all right? But that's why we have repentance. So we can all hear a word like this and once and get realigned and say, 
for this next leg of the race, for the rest of my life, I'm gonna be an unapologetic, unashamed disciple, disciple, disciple of Jesus. Is that your vote today? Amen. Would you all stand to your feet? And we're gonna close by doing a church-wide confession to get realigned once again, to ask the Holy Spirit once again to give us a strong spine, strengthen our walk of Jesus. And some of you are here today for the very first time. Maybe you were invited by some guest. You came here and you heard this strong message today, but something stirred in your heart. When you heard the message, you felt something in your spirit like you've never felt before. There was a yearning inside of you, a tugging inside of you. The Bible says that you can't come to God unless you're drawn by his Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit wooing you and tugging at you and saying, come home today. You need something to live for in life. You need something that you'd be willing to die for in life. And in Jesus, you find a cause worthy of that. So as we close here today, we're gonna make two confessions. First of all, for those in this place who you don't know the Lord, when you say these words in just a moment, this is gonna be your confession. And today, you're making a decision to follow Jesus. The second group are for Christians in this place who perhaps have not met Jesus' requirement for discipleship. One of the questions that plagues me as a leader of our church is, I'm challenging our church, you can't become a disciple of Jesus until you make the discipleship decision. And we have a lot of Christians who have not yet made a decision to be disciples of Jesus. So maybe that's your day to day. So, you know, I love the Lord, I'm going to heaven, but I need his strength to help me stand stronger in the culture today. Your, your neighbors ought to know where you stand. People will work ought to know where you stand. That you're, not, you're in a new ownership now. You're not your own. You've been bought by a price, the blood of Jesus. So all across this place, two confessions, one for people who are saying, today's my day. I'm coming home. I'm gonna know Jesus. Others, Christians, I'm becoming a disciple today. There's an old song. Most of you know it. If you're 40 years of age older, you know the song. The young people may not know the song. I have decided to follow Jesus. So I'm gonna lead you in this song. After I say a line, you're going to say it back with me. And by the fourth time, I want to get louder and longer. Let's make our confession ring in this place today. Are you ready? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. This is your last chance to get loud. I have decided to follow Jesus. Come on, say it. I decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Let's put our hands together and thank God for our confession today. God bless you guys.